Are you driven to apply to Darden? Do its case method and experiential approach to an MBA education draw you to its program? We do a deep dive today with our guest, the Senior Assistant Dean of Admissions at UVA Darden, into its admissions process. Please join me for this highly informative interview. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 439th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Are you ready to apply to your dream business schools? Are you competitive at your target programs? Acceptance MBA Admissions Calculator can give you a quick reality check. Just go to accepted.com slash MBA quiz, complete the quiz, and you not only get an assessment, but tips on how to improve your chances of acceptance. Plus, it's all free. Again, use the calculator at accepted.com slash MBA quiz to obtain your free assessment. It gives me great pleasure to have on Admissions Straight Talk, Donna Clark, Senior Assistant Dean of Admissions at UVA Darden. Donna is one of the most experienced and respected MBA admissions directors I've had the privilege of knowing. She started her career in MBA admissions at UNC Kenneth Flagler, then moved to Darden, which is, I think, where we first met, uh, served for 15 years as Director of Admissions, and then served in the same role at Tuck, and even spent a short period as an MBA admissions consultant. She returned to Darden in 2017. In all her positions and roles in MBA admissions, she is known for running an applicant-friendly admissions process while attracting great candidates to the schools that she has been associated with. Donna, welcome to Admissions Straight Talk, and congratulations again on your new title. Oh, thank you so much, Linda. I'm so honored to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Thanks for the invitation. You're very welcome. Now, I'd like to start with some general questions about Darden and then get more specific and focused on admissions, okay? Can we start with just a basic overview of the Darden MBA program for listeners who are not that familiar with it, focusing on its more distinctive elements? Sure, absolutely. I'm happy to give an overview of Darden. Well, Darden is a two-year full-time general management program. Um, Assuming we're primarily talking about the full-time format, we do offer other formats as well, but I uh, will focus on the full-time format. I would say one of the most distinctive elements of Darden is that it is primarily a case method school. And so our faculty over the years have revisited the curriculum and asked on occasion, is a case method the most relevant teaching method? And to date, since the school was founded in the 1950s, they um, continue to commit to the case method. The philosophy is that the best way to start making, learning how to make business decisions is to start making them. At Darden, we're trying to cultivate a variety of skills, leadership skills, team skills. It's a general management program. So people are gonna get accounting skills, financial skills, global skills. But one of the most relevant skills that we're trying to cultivate are strong business decision-making skills. And the philosophy is that the best way to start to cultivate those skills is to practice. Students do over 500 cases while they're at Darden. So there's a lot of, of practice. It's very you know practical and relevant. One of the benefits of the case method that a lot of people don't know about is that it exposes you to a lot of industries. 
So for students who are coming to Darden, a lot of people don't know. Um, they know that they want to transition into a business career, but they may not know what functional area. So through the general management program, you're going to get a lot of exposure to all the functional areas of business like accounting and economics and finance and operations. But because it's a case method school, every case is set within an industry. So in your two years at Darden, a student is going to get exposed to almost 70 different industries. So even if you don't go into energy, knowing a little bit about energy may be really um, valuable to you if you have a, a client in the future who's from the energy industry. Um, you're going to have, you know, cases from transportation, hospitality, financial services, consulting, startups, petrochemical companies, Um I, I love the phrase, we don't know what we don't know. And the average age for entering MBA students to the full-time format tends to be 27 or 28. And I've just seen so many examples of people who were not sure what they wanted to do came. And um, I can think of one woman who was never previously exposed to the airline industry, hadn't even thought about pursuing a career in the airline industry in her first year, did about three or four cases in the airline industry, and it really resonated with her. She did an internship with American Airlines, got a full-time job offer, and ended up going to America, you know, rising the ranks of American Airlines to a C-suite position. Wow. So that is the beauty of a case method. You get to experiment and learn a lot about different industries. Um, Darden is also known for its sense of community. Um, there are a multitude of things you can get involved in at Darton. There are affinity groups that you can become involved in. There are professional organizations. There are things like the cold call choir and social organizations. I also think our location is an asset. So Darton is part of the University of Virginia. UVA has nine professional schools. Darton students can cross-register and take up to two electives in the second year at any of those nine schools, as long as they're a graduate level class. I um, always encourage students to, you know, tap into some joy and just get lost on the UVA website as well as the Darden website. Um, and then I think our location in Charlottesville, just in terms of two years, uh, a, a place to spend two years of your life is, is an asset. I think if I didn't work for, for Darden, I'd work for the Char Charlottesville Tourism Department. <laughs> um, Rated like number one foodie town in, in the country by Rand McNally, 41 vineyards, lots of breweries, lots of history um, at UVA. So I do encourage people as they are looking at Darden to take advantage of the opportunities that are at the University of Virginia, as well as Darden and the opportunities to, to try a different area of the country. It's gorgeous too. It and is you, gorgeous. You do make a, 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 would make a wonderful booster for the tour, uh, whatever it's called in, in yeah, Charlottesville. To fall you back on I don't even remember. You took me to uh, Mont Monticello when yes. I, when I visited Darden, but we had a, yeah. I had a wonderful time. Yeah, good. It was great to have you, Linda. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think the other thing is it's still two hours away from DC. 
That's correct. It's two hours from DC. We have Amtrak right here. So you, I often, if I have to go to New York City for work, I hop on the Amtrak. It's a five-hour trip. Yeah, I, I, awesome. I can take Amtrak up to DC. I would prefer to be on the train rather than driving. But we also have a decent airline, um, you know, airport here with direct flights to Atlanta, New York, and Chicago. So wow. a little bit more accessible than some people think. I think so. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's let's move on from that. But thank you, thank you very much for the overview. Um, now, one I was going to ask, what's new? Obviously, one of the things that's new, which is already getting a little old, is COVID. What COVID adaptations does Darden intend to keep in in its yeah. MBA program and admissions, for that matter? Well, I'm I'm really glad that you asked this question because I think the manner in which a school has navigated COVID says a lot about the school, and I could not be more proud of the way that Darden navigated COVID. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give everybody a little bit of an overview of how we navigated it so you have some context about sure. how I think that's gonna carry Go forward. For you know, first of all, I think it starts you know, from, from, from the top down and I'm on the Dean's leadership team and the mantra from, from the beginning um, was really to navigate COVID with, with a great deal of compassion, obviously high level of commitment to the safety and health of our entire community, but um, to do so with a great level of compassion. So when COVID struck in March, uh, you may remember that a lot of students who were applying to business schools in round three could not take a GMAT or GRE because test centers were closed worldwide. And I think, again, the guiding mantra was, was to really be compassionate. Imagine what it would be like if you're a student and you want to apply to business school and you can't take one of the entrance exams. So Darden immediately went to a model of test flexibility to help accommodate students. Um, during COVID, we deferred. We granted 94 deferrals of students who could not get here last year. To this year, I mean, in a 35-year career in the industry, have never been in a position to have to grant so many deferrals, but it was the right thing to do. Darden is the only top business school that introduced the option to start in January. So say you're an international student from around the world, I think that they felt really cared for because they could defer their enrollment for a full year, that any student, any of our admitted students also had the option to start in January. And that was a heavy lift on the part yeah. of the faculty and staff to have two starts. When you're used to having one August start, to have two starts was a really heavy lift. You, but you, I think it's, it's You also have a, a lockstep first year, don't you? Yes, we do. And Which so would make it more difficult, frankly. Yes, they took, um, they condensed it so that if you didn't start in August, you start in January, early January 4th, and they finished on July 4th, and they condensed the entire first year into that, um, you know, six-month period of time. That is what we call Section J. They are incredibly close. I mean, they were kind of in this bubble of about 56 of them together and, you know, they were virtual, but I think that that is a good example of the lens that Darden went through to accommodate students who were navigating trying to get here with, you know, just bent over backwards. We're one of the only schools that did not have to shut down last year. The protocols that were in place were really top-notch. I was fortunate to be on the COVID-19 committee. They had epidemiologists from UVA on our committee to help 
guide us. At no point did we have to completely shut down. There was a a virtual hybrid, um, you know, rotation that was going on, but we did not have to shut down. The school was very concerned about the sense of community. We're really known for a sense of community. So what the school did was provide free lunch for all the first year students and provided, you know, permanent tents outside and places where they could eat safely together to foster a sense of community. So, um, I mean, we Darden was named by Poets and Quants, like the school that navigated COVID with the most flexibility and compassion. And um, I'm really proud to be a part, to have been a, a, a part of that. I think we, you know, some of these things are self-perpetuating because you do it because it's the right thing to do. You get positive feedback. And then, you know, there's more of that, Um that that is that is done. So I think that what will what will go forward is just it was good reinforcement of how important it um, flexibility and compassion are to each other in these times and generosity. I mean, I think it was amazing that the school provided free lunch for yeah, the whole really. year for sure. students to foster a sense of community at a time when that sense of community is really vulnerable because people were virtual. So. Um, you know, we, we did not replicate the January section this year. We're going to study the January section and see what they have to say about it and then what how they do in terms of recruitment as second years. Sure. But it went went well. And one of the silver linings is that they are such a close cohort. And they just came back. They started today, the second year class, and kind of fun because they're meeting some of their classmates for the first time. But again, I'm like very, very, very proud to be part of a school that handled COVID so well. And I think that kind of um, sensitivity to the human being and a a sense of being accommodating and um, was really something to be proud of. I think you're, I agree with you. I have a couple of questions on, on the accommodation. So you deferred, I think you said 90 something people. Did yes. most of the deferrals go into the J to section J or were they deferred a full year? Okay. So the, that's interesting because about 55 started in January. Okay. And then an additional 94 were deferred to this class. Wow. And Whoa. then um, some of that, we also have the future year scholars program. So I think 16 of the 94 were future year scholars and 81 of the 94 actually matriculated last week. So um, they stuck with us. Like, I mean, I think again, these things are self-perpetuating. I think they really appreciate it. Sure. Kids had a dream. They wanted to be here last year. And in some cases just couldn't get here because of COVID or visas or both. And so they were very loyal to us. So 81 out of the 94 deferrals uh, showed up at Garnet last. Yeah. Did that mean that you could only that you had to accept that many fewer people from the applicant pool last year? It was it was more competitive last yeah. year because yeah. you know, be, be, but you, you don't have more deferrals for the upcoming year that you're gonna Correct. have. Correct. Right. It's more of a normal, like back to a normal level of, of deferrals. Cause fortunately, most of the students were able to to get here and we just um orientation started last week. It's a really excellent class in terms of, you know objective measures like the average GBAT and the record high GPA, but it's also, we're really proud that it's the most diverse class in Darden's history across multiple dimensions, you know, 40% international students, 40% women, um, highest percentage of underrepresented minorities, highest percentage of 
total minority students, highest percentage of first-generation college students, highest percent that identify as LGBTQ+, highest percentage of dual degree students, and numbers with an advanced degree. So the, the class, we're really excited. It's, it's such a stellar class and, and really, really diverse, um, which is nice because the previous year, in many business schools, it was hard to get the same representation that we normally have of international students because right. of COVID. For sure. Absolutely. Let's turn to the application. Now, Darden, you mentioned this a minute ago, Darden has made test waivers uh, requests available to applicants. I have a very simple question uh, in that connection. Who should seek them and who shouldn't? Okay, great question, Linda. Thanks for asking that. So the philosophy between op- behind offering a test waiver uh, really stems from our belief that not all stellar applicants are stellar test takers. So I'm sure you as a very experienced, like highly reputable admissions consultant have interacted with lots of those students, people who are just incredible and have so much to offer a business school and will be high impact leaders that they they can't master um, to the extent that they wish they could a three and a half hour exam. So our philosophy is that it's it's 2021 and it's not 1950 anymore. And we have great respect for the GMAT and GRE. The validity studies that we participated in the past um, do show that it's they're valuable instruments. But we did a lot of data analytics in advance of this policy shift to see what other factors correlate with success, academic success at Darden. So there have been a couple of phases of of those studies. So for for example, we found that the interview correlates more with academic success than we would have thought. We found that the verbal GMAT is a better predictor than the the quantitative GMAT. (laughs) Um, The GPA is a better predictor than the, the test scores. We're going through analysis right now and looking at, is there a correlation if you have a CFA, if you have a CPA, if you've done some Darden Coursera classes, if you have a master's degree in a relevant area, if you have a quantitatively oriented job. So we're continuously looking at data to help guide our policies. Um, But to answer your question about who should apply, I would recommend the test waiver process for candidates who have strong alternative evidence that they can do well academically. So maybe a candidate has a strong undergraduate GPA in a relevant field. Maybe he or she has earned a master's in a relevant field. Maybe they have a very quantitatively oriented job. Maybe they have earned a CFA or CPA. Um, Maybe they've taken some post-bac classes. So I would say the test waiver is not for someone who has no alternative right. evidence. It is really for people who maybe um, might, might maybe they struggle a little bit with a standardized test, but they perform really well um, in a class. Um, I'm a big fan of HBX Core, which is now ask you about that. HBS Online. Um, have seen hundreds of applicants who have taken that class. My own son took that class as a liberal arts major, and just I heard such great things about it. Um, we have Coursera classes 
classes at Darden people can take. Wharton has fundamentals of business. There's a lot of certification Mm -hmm. programs out there, but ultimately we're looking for high impact leaders. And we believe that the GMAT um, was carrying too much. There's too much emphasis on on GMAT scores when in this day and age, there's so many alternative ways that somebody can prove that they're academically ready. Does that answer your question? Very well. Thank you. If somebody, like, let's say somebody, um, I don't know, their undergraduate GPA is not what something that makes them proud. Okay. But they've done really well professionally and they want to show their academic ability. I think, you know, the CPA, the CFA, they're known for being rigorous exams. Yes. Our online course is not HBS Core or or the Wharton Fundamentals, because those already, I think, do have certain credibility. But Coursera courses or other online courses, do you get comfort from seeing grades from um, accredited institutions is what I'm trying to say. We do. And I think, you know, people are hopefully we're all entitled to continue to evolve. And maybe somebody didn't have a lot of quantitative exposure at the undergraduate level. And the person is interested in working on those skills now will like go for it, whatever it is that you feel like you need to improve upon. I do think having, having worked at multiple schools, it is anything that an applicant can do to be better prepared so that you can really take advantage of the full Darden experience, to take advantage of the networking and all the clubs and activities and all the speakers, as well as opportunities are at UVA and Charlottesville, because it's part of the life experience and evolution is living in a new area and taking advantage of the culture. But I think anything that somebody can do, not only for admission, but to make your life a little bit easier when you're actually a student, you're going to be so grateful for. So for example, if somebody, we don't require any of these, but if if an individual hasn't had accounting, I would say it'd be great to take an introductory accounting class. If you haven't had business statistics, super helpful to have a business statistics class. And if somebody hasn't had finance, maybe a you know introductory finance class or economics and things. And that's why I'm a really big advocate of HBS, HBS online. Yeah. It is sort of kind of an introduction to the types of subjects that you would be studying if you're in an MBA program and can be really good confirmation that, yes, I do want to study an MBA. I'm interested in these topics. Um, It gives you some terminology and familiarity with them. It is highly well regarded. Um, At least I I can, I I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, uh, but I have high regard for that certification program. And I think it's a 150 hour commitment. I think I would put it on my resume if I did it. And say you go to Darden and you went to a different undergraduate school and you did HBS online while you were working full time. I would use it as a talking point when you're working with recruiters, because I think that also speaks to somebody's motivation level. Sure. I wanted to be prepared for the program, but I also wanted to you know, maybe stand out a little bit in terms of the admissions process, I would put it on my resume under under education and it can stay there forever. Having a certification from Harvard Business School is never going to hurt. No. Um, so that is the one that is my favorite. And um, that's my favorite certification program. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, my it's, pleasure. Also, I think the point that you made at, at the very beginning of your answer to this, this question, 
that you don't want to be sitting at Darden and struggling with basics, you know, the basics of accounting or the basics of statistics or the basics of math or the basics right. of economics. If you can just get those under your belt, you'll get yep. so much more out of the experience Absolutely. and your investment. Yep. Absolutely. That's a little more time that you can spend networking with your classmates or going to hear a guest speaker. The other one I recommend is learning Excel. And I think students are going to be, you don't have to be a master of it, but have some familiarity with Excel. And before you come, that's something that you can do again, not a requirement, but it's something that you can do to make your life a little easier. For sure. For sure. What what happens to an application after the applicant hits submit? How is it processed and evaluated? Okay, great. Um, well, in terms of, I'll answer this in two ways, in terms of the application flow, and then also you might evaluate. be getting at sort of what we, what we evaluate. So we're very proud with how many touch points there are with our applicants, you know, as you well know, again, very experienced admissions consultant, you know the blood, sweat, and tears and hours that, that these applicants put into this process and, and the stress that can be involved. Um, we really you know, acknowledge that and want people to know we're part of the reason we're in these jobs is we love reading your stories. We love interviewing you. We're inspired by them. Um, every application is reviewed by three people. So there's what we call a pre-interview read. Um, where a member of the admissions committee will review an application and decide if that person should be invited for an interview. The exception is early action. Um, In early action, applicants can opt in to a self-selected interview. Then after the interview, it is read again, um, sometimes by one or two people before it goes to me. So... There's a process to read it before an interview, the interview is conducted, and then it goes on. Lots of different, we intentionally have different people looking at it because we're human beings getting, you know, we want to make good decisions. And as much as we're trained, we can all bring biases in that we try to work against. Um, But just having more opinions and, you know, experienced opinions, you know, we I'm really proud of our team in terms of how experienced they are and, and the, uh, the lack of like turnover on our team. Um, it is definitely a holistic process and I'm going to, I'll mention some things that are taken into consideration in the evaluation process that are not necessarily in order of importance, but we do want people to do well academically, you know, so we want you to be successful. So we'll look for, evidence that somebody can do well academically, but we do it in a progressive way. That's why we have the, t- the, the test waiver. So people can, if you if you don't perform well on a standardized test, but you perform well in other ways, then let's let somebody prove it beyond just the GPA and um, standardized test score. <laughs> we look at professional experience. In the first year class, there are people who come from 28 different industries some of them are traditional business backgrounds. Some are from healthcare, and you know, um, nonprofits, uh, Peace Corps, um, you know, startups, people, you know, financial services, consulting, tech seem to be some of the, the popular ones. But you can, you don't have to have a business background. Um, we'll look a lot at progression. Sort of, how has this person? 
progressed in his or her career. Um, I encourage people to talk about the impact they've had either on an organization, on a team, on a project, on an individual. We do ask a series, we call them short answer questions, not big essay questions. And the intention of short answer questions is to try to get to know about different elements of a person's background. And this year we have a lot of choices with the short answer questions because some of us, you know, have a really great answer for one prompt, but not another. So I, we wanted to provide more choice for applicants. One of my favorites is just what we're, everybody's assigned to a learning team. Everybody's assigned to a section at Darden. One of my favorite questions is just, what do you want your learning team to know most about you? And I love reading those because for, for each person, everything they could possibly say, what, what is it that you want, you most want your learning team to know about you? And I love reading the answers. And I encourage people, I know it sounds cliche, but just to ask yourself, you know, what am I most proud of that's relevant to the business school process that I want to let these people to know about? I read a great essay that um, last year, a woman was applying from China and it was in the middle of the pandemic. And she talked about how she she has she is driven by being helpful to other people. And she talked about the lens she went to to help her grandmother learn technology so that her grandmother, who was isolated in COVID, wouldn't get you know depressed and would have a way to connect with the family. And it was it was so heartfelt. It was it was an example, it was a tangible example of her thread of helpfulness. So anyway, the short answer questions are a part of it. Recommendations are sort of a third-party objective way for us to get information, our insight about a candidate. 100% of our students are interviewed, and the interview is so helpful in terms of learning more about interpersonal skills and communication skills and some elements of a person's background that are a little harder to assess on the basis of a written application. So it's very broad. And I will say on this note for everyone, you know, business schools, is like a little bit of a space issue. If, 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 if you apply and you get into your top choice or two or three choices, that's great. If for some reason you don't, remember that a lot of these schools have finite amount of space. And I think it's really important for applicants to know if you're waitlisted or denied, that does not mean that that candidate wouldn't have thrived at Darden or isn't going to be a really impactful leader in business. Sometimes it just comes down to numbers. Like, you you know, a certain, you get a volume of applications and, and so many people apply, have so much going for them. But I think it's really important to try to depersonalize it, this process a little bit and say, I am not going to allow me to frame that this letter of denial means that I wouldn't have thrived at this school or I'm not going to be successful by taking another path. I think it's a really important message. That's a, that's a great point. That is absolutely true. Uh, a lot of times, I, I think most schools, most of the elite schools say that the majority of rejected applicants would have done well in their programs. I totally agree with that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. The other thing, I, I actually just was speaking with a, an applicant this morning, and she was very hung up on what group do I belong to? And, you know, like, am I, am I in this industry or am I in that bucket? You know, this bucket, that bucket. And I have a kind of love-hate relationship with that question. Um, 
I love it because I can get on a soap opera. I hate it because it shows such a misunderstanding of the process. And I basically said at the end of the day, you want to grow, you want to, and you should belong to a group of one. You are an individual, Mm -hmm. a unique individual, and you just forget the groups, forget the labels and portray your individuality. It absolutely. A lot of us, like, um, we just had this really amazing two day diversity, equity, and inclusion retreat last week. And, you know, many of us have multiple identities. Of course. That we, we all do. Made, yeah. And, and like one person it was African-American on our team and said, people assume that African-American is my primary identity. I was raised by two white parents and my primary identity is more that this person was gay. And so like a, a lot of, we can't assume, you know, many people have multiple affiliations and things or and multiple aspects where yeah. we're complex human beings that you're right. I mean, everybody's unique and other just different aspects that make us all unique. And that's where I think candidates, if you can try to minimize the stress in this process, which I know is easier said than done, but so many alumni tell me going to Darden were two of the best years of my life. And if people can occasionally come up for air and say, I'm going to tap into the joy you're embarking, they're embarking on a really exciting journey and going through the application process can really help, you know, some of the essay questions really get you thinking, right? Right, right? right. What I'm most proud of that's relevant to a business school admissions process that I'm just really excited to share with these people and just, just, you know, for the applicants out there that are listening, just try really hard to tap into the joy and the precipice of this exciting chapter. And, um, and also, like, like I said before, it's not just Darden, it's UVA. I mean, there's phenomenal resources at UVA and I'm a big fan of Charlottesville. So kind of spend some time just getting lost, not only on the Darden website, but exploring what you can learn virtually about UVA and Charlottesville, because I think they're a big part of the growth opportunity too. Yeah. And getting, I, I completely agree with you and I'm glad you, you brought that up. Now Darden has the, those five questions. I think it's also kind of tough to squeeze it maybe into 150, 250 words, because yes. they're very short, but the, they each have a different focus. And that a lot that I think enables the applicant to better bring out that individuality. Exactly, because they're it kind of aimed at one is more sort of leadership and impact oriented, another is a little bit about your worldview. We want people, you're gonna everybody's gonna be a leader in some way, um, whether it's in a traditional business function or using business skills in um a, a non-traditional way, you know, we really believe that it's important to have global skills and DEI skills and embrace, like, embrace others' opinions and gravitate to the person who doesn't look like you and learn more from that student from a country that you've never visited. We really are trying to look for people who are going to embrace the diversity of the people around them. Okay, great. Now, if somebody is lucky enough to be invited to interview by Darden, what can they expect? Okay, good question. I think our interviews are intentionally conversational in nature. Our philosophy is that our interviewees are going to perform better if we 
put them at ease. I think you can, you know, expect for your, your interviewer, maybe a full-time member of the admissions committee, and maybe one of our second year um, student interviewers who take a class with us for credit. Whether you interview with a member of the admissions committee or a student, they all carry the same weight. Um, so it's not, there's no advantage or disadvantage either way, but I think you can expect the person to just chat with you and put you at ease and um, make you feel comfortable. Um, there, there are not behavioral questions. There are not oddball questions. It, it is conversational. And okay. um, a lot of questions, you know, maybe kind of aimed at why, like, okay, why did you make this, you know, choice of undergraduate school? And what prompted your interest in maybe a specific major? How, how they just kind of, kind of going through their background and, it's, I think it's less about what someone says and more about their interpersonal and communication skills. And is it blind? Is it in other words, as the interview? It is blind. Them? They're mm-hmm. intentionally blind. And we do that because we don't want anything in the application to positively or negatively influence us. Uh, too much research shows if you know a GPA or a GMAT, even if you try to block it out, you might make, we don't want to make assumptions about anyone. So they are blind. I think people will find that they're 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 quite conversational and you know a pleasant experience. Okay, great. Thank you. What's the most common mistake you see applicants make? Or mistakes? Yeah, I think kind of going back to it's such an easy mistake for us all to make maybe writing an essay with more of the lens of like I'm going to write what I think these people want to hear as opposed to being really in tune with yourself and just like, I am so excited to let them know about, you know, this. And, and, and like I said, maybe that example that I gave earlier of the woman who used the example of teaching her grandmother might not be an obvious response that we got, but it worked really well. And it was very authentic to her. I think sometimes when people are writing an essay, um, sometimes you see people who say like, according to Thomas Jefferson, blah, blah, blah. And that's not really helpful because it tells me something about Thomas Jefferson, but not the applicant. The other thing I would say is we see this every day is somebody might apply to Darden, but not at a saying, this is why XYZ school is my top choice and it's not Darden. So <laughs> um, just, just based proofing. Um, I think another one is I would really encourage people. I have a video blog on the resume. Yeah, by the way, um, Donna's videos are excellent. Oh, thank you. Well, I have a video blog um, that people, I encourage people to watch because we try to be transparent about the process and try to give you some helpful tips. It is not a requirement to have a perfectly polished resume. However, um, it if you're, you're going to have to do a resume eventually when you're in an MBA program why not do a little research? Like what is the format for what's a really professionally oriented format and really spend some time on your resume, both in terms of the substance, but just the layout. Occasionally we see some, some not very professionally looking resumes and a resume is an opportunity to show your personality and your impact. So when I'm interviewing someone, sometimes I like to see like their personal aspect of their resume. What are they, what are they interested in? Where have they traveled? Sometimes it's nice just in terms of striking up a conversation 
with someone, but that is an opportunity to really show your professionalism and personality and impact. And that some people maybe, maybe like might, might not take so much care with. Okay. Thank you. Now, some applicants have specific elements of their background that they're concerned about. They're really concerned about it. Yeah. How do you view applicants who, and I have two different examples. The first one is applicants who had a dip in grades, perhaps a period of unemployment due to depression or emotional illness. That's kind of one category. The second category would be applicants who were young and made a mistake and they have an academic infraction or a misdemeanor, perhaps a DUI on their record. And let's, let's keep it to the person who has one such incident, not multiple incidents. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to speak for myself only because I can't speak for other admissions officers at other schools. We are fortunate in that I think I've had a a fair amount of education around mental health issues. And um, I personally am really inspired when people feel comfortable disclosing that as part of their history. And if people fell and broke their ankle, there would be no shame in telling us they fell and broke their ankle and there should be no shame affiliated with having had a bout of depression either. So I, I consider myself in a very, like the camp of how one should think about mental health challenges. It's a growing number of students that experience mental health issues. I think the important question to ask yourself, regardless of any medical condition, whether it's mental health or physical health, is like, am I ready? Am I ready to embark on this challenge next year? And you know, we empower you to make that decision for yourself. Like um, the the vast majority of mental health issues happen; they're not chronic, ongoing issues. Um, and even if they are, I'm really proud to say Darden has two full time psychologists here to help students who might need some support, whether it's just a a low level of stress or maybe a mental health challenge. We have some incredible resources here. So if it's part of your history and some people are much more open about it and some people choose to be private, that's your choice. But I, I have seen in the last couple of years an increase in the number of people who talk about maybe I needed to take a year off or a semester off because of one of these challenges. And it's no different than any kind of physical challenge. And I think just, again, the most important thing is regardless of what your medical issue is, it's like, is this timing the best for you? Or would the following year be better for your timing in terms of having proper treatment or surgery or whatever an individual needs for a medical challenge? But um, I am more impressed and I think this is a good sign of our times so that this generation is comfortable disclosing something that maybe in a previous generation they would not be. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a positive trend. Okay, great. And the question was about, the second one was about um, either academic infractions or, yeah. or a criminal record, specifically missing. Okay, yeah. I think it depends on what the infraction was. If it was like assault, <laughs> you know, I think we're going to be probably pretty concerned. And um, as opposed to, um, I got, you know, caught with an open can of beer or, I mean, again, we're all human beings, human beings make mistakes. And I would, I think it's important to be honest because a lot of these, um, there are background checks that are done later and it's so much better to be upfront about it from the beginning. But I would say the 
overwhelming majority of things that are disclosed are things that fall into the, you know, we were all immature at one point and may have, you know, made some misjudgments as human beings. Um, I have seen a few in my career where the red flag was more concerning, but that's rare. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Donna. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to link to the Darden website from exhibit.com slash 439, as well as to other resources that would be relevant to Darden applicants. Again, it's all linked to from exhibit.com slash 439. Quick reminder, don't miss the MBA admissions quiz. Find out if you are really ready to apply and competitive at your target schools. Take the quiz at exhibit.com slash MBA quiz today. Listener, thank you too for joining Donna Clark and me for our 439th episode. If you find the show worthwhile, please subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any future shows, be they with admissions directors, professors, current students, test prep pros, or alumni doing great things. Thanks again for coming. This is Admission Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. 